Thank you for being with me through this study of First Peter. We'll we'll do something f starting Monday. I don't know if we'll maybe start Second Peter. Um, I haven't decided yet, so we'll figure something out though for Monday and Tuesday, and pro probably we'll do it Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday of next week, and then I don't know if we're gonna do it after next week, but we'll see what happens. So let's wrap up First Peter this morning. First Peter five twelve through fourteen. Uh, let's just read the, the last few verses of 1 Peter, and then we'll talk about them. 1 Peter 5, 12 through 14. This is going to be a little bit of a shorter video, probably. By Silvanus, faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God, stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. So, a couple of things to talk about in this these last few verses. This is very standard stuff, right? Very standard for a letter. I really like these, you know, so the epistles, the letters of the New Testament, it's easy to just sort of view them as these theological doctrinal documents that sort of appeared out of nowhere and now we have the whole thing and we have the whole Bible. But these, these sections at the end really reinforce the idea these are personal letters written to congregations or individuals in a in a network of growing churches in the first century that these are real people with real problems and these writers are have friends and they have they have people that are against them and they have people that they that work with and they're sending these letters so when he says by Sylvanus faithful brothers I regard him I have written to you that probably means that Sy so, so Sylvanus is another name for Silas well, of course, we know who Silas is. He traveled with Paul quite frequently. Of course, went to Jerusalem several times. It's not uh, it's not a stretch to imagine that Peter knows who Silas is. This probably means that Silas delivered the letter. Uh, so Peter writes it, and he delivers it to these churches via Silas, which makes sense. Silas, again, had traveled with Paul extensively, had been probably in that part of the world extensively, and, and was familiar maybe with some of the churches, or at least familiar with the region. So Silas takes the letter to these different churches. The uh, Remember what Peter's, uh, how Peter it begins his letter uh, to the... I'm looking it up right now. I don't want to paraphrase it. To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. So those regions, uh, as Silas probably took the letter from Peter and then it eventually needed to be copied at some point to deliver to all these different churches. So Silas probably did that. Uh, the second thing in the text I want to note, she who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends greetings. That's probably Rome. Uh, Babylon, of course, by this point in history, Babylon was destroyed and gone. Uh, but so pro that, that phrase Babylon probably referring to Rome, it probably refers to this, uh, is the same way in Revelation, uh, when when Babylon is used in Revelation. Of course, it's a stand-in, right? It's a, that phrase, if you're, an, if you're an Israelite, if you're a Jew, that phrase Babylon or that word Babylon uh, would evoke the exiles, right, would evoke the captivity uh, into Babylon. So again, when he's writing to these elect, elect exiles of the dispersion, uh, Babylon is a stand-in for the seat of power, right? Whoever's in charge, especially in charge of the people who don't believe in God, uh, and that would be Rome at the time. Uh, let's talk about Mark for a little bit. Mark, uh, let's see. So she is a Babylon who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Uh, let's talk about Mark for a bit. It's Peter had probably known Mark for decades. Uh, it is from the very from early on. They were uh, 
probably very familiar with one another. Let's read Acts 12, 11 through 12. When Peter, this is a story, of course, of Peter being in prison and then rescued. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Pharaoh of hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people that were uh, all that the Jewish people were expecting when he realized this he went to the house of Mary the mother of John whose other name was Mark where many were gathered together and were praying it is likely that the church in Jerusalem one of their common meeting places of course remember there's a ton of Christians in Jerusalem just so many thousands of Christians in Jerusalem there's not many places they can all meet in fact they probably didn't all meet together very often but they did meet from in house to house, from home to home, right? Uh, it's probable that Mary's house, Mark's mom, uh, was one of the, the main houses where they would meet. Uh, so he's probably been familiar with Mark, Peter is, has probably been familiar with Mark for decades. Of course, then Mark goes and travels with Paul and then comes back and then he goes with Barnabas and, and a lot of stuff happens with John and Mark and, and various things. Uh, it is, as you look at different introductory material to the Gospel of Mark, People, a lot of people think that Mark wrote his gospel based in large part on Peter's recollections as they would have been, uh, had a relationship and talking and, and describing and, and Peter would have been describing the things that had happened and maybe Mark was there in the gospels and maybe not, but uh, probably based a lot in large part on Peter's recollections and Peter's words. Uh, so Mark is a fairly significant person in the life of Peter. Of course, what does Peter say? Um, oops, wrong verse. Peter says what? So does Mark, my son. So very clear that they had a close relationship. Uh, let's talk about the greeting kiss. What does he say there? At the very end, again, we don't need to paraphrase it. We have the technology to just read it. Um, greet one another with the kiss of love. Now, of course, Paul uses this phrase several times uh, in, the, in the epistles. Uh, we'll read a couple of them. 1 Corinthians 16, 20. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. 2 Corinthians 13, 12 through 13. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. And then, of course, Peter says, which we just read, greet one another with the kiss of love. Interesting idea. There are, I think, some cultures that still do this. This would have been a common thing for them to do. And it was a mark of familiarity, a mark of family, right? We're not talking about like a romantic kiss. This is not a romantic kiss. Even when he says kiss of love, kiss of familial love, right? Of love between a family members. So this is not a romantic kiss. We understand Peter, oh, uh, Paul, of course, says the holy kiss, uh, which is different than what Peter says. But this is a, a mark of familiarity, a family, right? So when we greet the idea of greeting, greet one another in a way that makes it clear that you're family, that reminds you of your family connection. Greet them, greet fellow Christians as you would greet members of your own family. And in some cases, we know, obviously, even closer than members of your own family, because some people don't really get along with members of their physical family. Uh, so that's what this is, right? This is, a, this is a, an exhortation to... Greet one another in a way that is comforting and familiar and makes clear the close bond between Christians, right? This is not a, a sexual thing, and this is not a this is a, a cultural artifact, really. Uh, when we do this, uh, the I was trying to think of the closest analogy. Of course, some cultures today still do this, and they probably do this more exactly than we do. I was trying to think of the cultural 
equivalent. There's not really, I guess hugging would probably be the closest cultural equivalent would be hugging. A hugging is something you typically do with family members, but not strangers or family members, but not maybe not co definitely not coworkers. So I think probably hugging is the closest example to this. But again, what? The greeting that indicates that you're family, that you're close, that you have this close connection. Uh, the thing I want to spend most of the time on today, though, is the importance of the epistles. As we think about Peter's conclusion here, what he says about his own writing, I have written briefly to you exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. What is the true grace of God? The things that he's written are the true grace of God. There is, in both Peter's writings and Paul's writings, and, and there in the Hebrew letter, of course we don't know who wrote Hebrews, there is an element of in a lot of the epistles of the importance of what's being written. And again, there's this sort of divide. I think maybe sometimes we have, of course, the Gospels that are about Jesus. And then we have the epistles, which are sort of secondary maybe. And I'm not saying we think this, but maybe some Christians in the world think this. That the epistles are sort of secondary to the Gospels. And, and as long as you know what Jesus did, well, that's great. And then you don't really need to know what the epistles say. The problem with that the idea, the problem with that attitude is twofold. One... Of course, Jesus lived under the old law, right? So some of the things that Jesus did, we can't just emulate Jesus entirely because a lot of the things that Jesus did were specific to the old law, which we're not under anymore. But secondly, Jesus said that he would give guidance to and send the Holy Spirit to help people write down and teach what he wanted them to teach when he was gone. Right? And several of the writers of the New Testament letters, the when I say epistles, I mean the letters. So we're talking... Acts is technically an epistle, but it doesn't have the same form as an epistle. It's it's more of a narrative or a record, but it is a letter to somebody. Uh, but we're talking about really Romans through Revelation, again, is an epistle, but it, again, it has a different form or a different flow. So really, we're thinking about Romans through Jude. When we think about the epistles in the classic sense, of course, again, Revelation and Acts are also letters. And technically, so are the Gospels, but we put them in different categories. Let's read a couple of verses. Of course, we have the one in 1 Peter 5, 12. I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Hebrews 13, 22. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. That's an interesting phrase, since Hebrews is fairly long. 1 Corinthians 14, 13. Uh, no, that's not right. 1 Corinthians 14, 37 through 38. If any, this is, of course, Paul writing. If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So these three, two or three, depending on who wrote Hebrews, these two or three writers in the New Testament wanted to make clear to the people who received the letters, Paul, P Peter says what? The things that I am writing are the true grace of God. Of course, Paul says what? The things that I am writing are a command from the Lord. The Hebrew writer says what? Bear with my word of exhortation. The idea of bear with is, is keep it. Hold on to it, right? Uh, I know some of the things were difficult, but you need to keep these things. So the Hebrew writer, Paul and, and Peter are all making clear these epistles, these letters are important. They are necessary. They are part of God's revelation for us. So the Gospels, yes, the story of Jesus is the central story, obviously, in Scripture. 
But when we think about how we're to live and what we're to do and how we're to be uh, engaging in Christian activity and what does it mean and, and how do I live the life that I'm supposed to live, the epistles are necessary. They are the key way that we know what to do, how to live, what, what sort of activities. And you can think about it this way. The Gospels tell us the story of salvation, right? Isn't that the good news that Jesus came to earth, he lived a perfect life, he died for our sins, and now he can be forgiven, right? There's a lot of different ways you could say the Gospel. But that, that sort of core element. The epistles answer the next question, okay? Well, great, now I have a relationship with Jesus, now I'm a Christian. Hooray, I've been saved! Now what? What do I do now? Because once you've been saved, guess what? You still might have to live another 60 years or whatever. I don't know. It depends when you were saved. For a lot of these people, they still had decades to live. Okay, they have this relationship with Jesus. They've they've been cleansed of their sin. Now what? Now what do I, how do I live for the next 60 years of my life? Well, that's what the epistles answer, right? And of course, in the New Testament, in the first century, they would have been having this teaching just in uh, uh, oral teaching, right? They just would have had this regular teaching uh, from the beginning. The, the apostles were teaching and they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching in Acts 4. And, and of course, Paul was going around and he was teaching for weeks and months and years in all these different places. So the epistles are really for Christians to follow. Not that they obviously had value to the Christians of the day, but the for while these letters were being written, they were still the apostles were still around, right? They could still talk to people. For us, this is it. This is how we have any knowledge at all of the so what. Now that I'm a Christian, what do I do? Well, you do what First Peter says in Hebrews and First Corinthians and and Romans and Philippians and all the other letters in the New Testament. That's how we know how to live the Christian life, right? And it's been said before, and, and by many people, the Gospels and Acts, they're written for non-Christians, right? To convince people to become Christians, to convince people this is why you need to have a relationship with Jesus. This is why you need to submit to God's will. Romans through Revelation is for the Christian. What do I do with my life? And again, as Peter says, we'll put it back up there. I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. These things that I'm writing to you are the true grace of God. And so what? Stand firm in it. What does the Hebrew writer says? Bear with my word. What does Paul say in 1 Corinthians? Acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. These things matter and they're serious and they're weighty. So we can't just ignore the epistles. We can't just have the gospels, the story of Jesus, and, well, all I need to know is what Jesus said. That's just not true. We do need to know what Jesus said, especially as we're thinking about being Christian. We need absolutely need the story of Jesus. We can't be Christians without it. But we also can't really be Christians without the things that his prophets and apostles wrote to us. So as we wrap up First Peter, I would encourage you to Stand firm in the words of 1 Peter. The things that we've talked about, a lot of different stuff. Maybe you haven't watched all the videos. Go back and watch them or listen to the podcast. I'm a little behind on uploading it to the podcast, but I uh, will finish that up this week. Stand firm in this stuff. Let's end in a prayer, and then I'll conclude with some announcements. God, we thank you for the things that have been written to us that we might know how to live how to engage in Christian practice and service and worship and 
how to serve one another in a way that's pleasing to you. Give us strength to do so. God, I ask you at this time that you be with family of Terrell and all of those who are hurting and all of us, really, because we are part of his extended Christian family who are hurting. Of course, we know that his, his immediate family is hurting in a different way. We ask you, please give them a special measure of peace and comfort. God, we thank you for his life that was firm in the faith. We ask you, please be with those who are struggling with COVID and, and those who are working in this time who are dealing with it and having to care for those and trying to find a vaccine. Please give them knowledge and wisdom that they may do so in a, in a fast way. We love you. We thank you for your church. In Jesus' name, amen.